We've been continuing a series in Exodus. We come this morning to Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. And our New Testament complementary passage is the epistle to the Romans, chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. So if you place your bulletin or your bulletin insert as a bookmark in your Bibles in Exodus 25, Open them to Romans chapter 4. I said chapter 4. It's actually chapter 3. I apologize. It's Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. And in honor of God's word, please stand. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Hear God's word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 10, and continuing in the reading of God's word. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above. 
overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, we have read, we come to the preaching and the hearing of your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to this amazing mercy. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So if you're familiar with the language of the New Testament, you will be familiar with Paul's phrase that he uses in more than one place concerning the offense of the gospel. And... You know, we talk about that in evangelism, we talk about it in sharing our faith with other people, that we want the gospel to be the only offense that there is, we want to make sure that we are not being offensive in the way that we share the gospel with other people. But have you ever stopped and really thought, what exactly is the offense of the gospel? Because the gospel means good news, right? And what we normally hear as the gospel presentation is that Jesus loves you, he died for your sins, and if you will accept him and receive him as your Lord and Savior, then you will have life and joy and meaning in this life and a hope for the life to come, right? So what's offensive about that? In what way is that offensive? And I think what we miss when we look at the gospel, look at the message of the gospel, strictly from that, would you please respond arena. I think we miss what really is at the very, very heart of how it is that a holy God can love an unholy people. So the setting is, children of Israel, they're camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. This Sinaitic covenant begins in Exodus chapter 18, runs all the way through the end of the book of Exodus, through the entire book of Leviticus, and up through Numbers chapter 9. It's divided into seven great sections. The first is the marriage contract. And that is what you and I commonly know as the Ten Commandments. It's given to us in the language of marriage in chapter 18, this lover's language. And later in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Hosea, Israel's faithlessness is referred to in the language of adultery. That Israel is an unfaithful bride. And continually, what they, what the, the, the mark that they look back on 
for the establishing of Israel as the bride is Sinai. And so Sinai and the Ten Commandments in particular are God's covenant with his bride. This is how he wants them to behave and he will in turn take care of them. The next section of the, of the Sinaitic covenant, the second section, the chapters that we've already looked at with the judicial laws, how it is that God's people are to treat one another and how it is that God's people are to treat strangers in their midst. Now we come to this third of the seven sections of the Sinaitic covenant, and that is worship, the worship laws. We began looking at this in the first eight verses, nine verses of chapter 25 by noting two things in particular. One is that there's a free will offering. This is not God telling everybody this is how much you're expected to give, but rather he wants to see voluntary sacrifice. He wants to see that the people that he has loved return that love. And so he says, whatever your heart tells you to do, that's what you should give. And so they take up this great collection and the, all of the stuff is, is given there in, in the first verses of chapter 25. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones for setting the ephod and the breastplate. So all of this precious stuff has been voluntarily given, and now we're going to start the actual worship of God, the actual place of worship. And we begin in the Holy of Holies. The first place... The first priority is going to be the Holy of Holies. This is also where all of the stuff is made of gold. You've got three things that are in the Holy of Holies. The first is the Ark of the Covenant, which we'll be looking at this morning. The second is the Table of Showbread. And the third is the Lampstand. We'll be looking at those in coming weeks, Lord willing. But that Ark of the Covenant covered in pure gold emphasizes that this is the most precious aspect. This is the central aspect. This is where God wants the children of Israel to begin in their relationship with him and wants them to constantly be focused upon in terms of their relationship with him. So we're going to look at this two ways this morning. First, look at the ark itself. And secondly, at the mercy seat. Now the word ark actually is an Egyptian loan word. It, it comes from Egyptian culture. And it refers to a coffin. It's used at the, the very last phrase of the book of Genesis. Is It's translated, that same word is translated in the very last phrase of the book of Genesis as coffin when Joseph's bones were stored in a coffin 
in order to be carried back to the land of promise. But it is associated with death. It's interesting, the first time we encounter it is in an Egyptian uh, legend in which one of the gods slays his brother, places him in this thing called an ark or called a coffin, and places his dead brother's body on the banks of the Nile, which is possibly uh, some interesting literary analogies with Moses being placed in a coffin, in an ark made of bulrushes, and being drawn up out of the Nile. But however we're going to go with whether or not that's an interesting literary analogy or not, here's the point. God wants to draw your attention to a place of death. That is where you and I have to begin. You see, the offense of the gospel is not the offer of mercy. I'm thankful for the offer of mercy. The offense of the gospel is that you need mercy. Share the gospel with anyone. Share the reason for the hope that lies within you with anyone. And start from that place. You stand under God's wrath and curse because you are not holy. And you will get a lot of pushback. You will get a lot of offended people. You will get a lot of people that will say, hey, who are you to judge me? The response is, I'm not judging you. God is. (laughs) He's judging me too. But whatever. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to come at me with this? I'm better than this person over there. Have you seen, I'm no Hitler, blah, blah, blah. We constantly will find ourselves, even as Christians, brothers and sisters, I don't know how many times in my work as a pastor, I will come alongside someone and I'll say, brother, sister, this is not right what you're doing. And I can probably count on the fingers of two hands the numbers of times when a person has just said, I'm so sorry, you are right. Pray for me. I want to straighten this out. I want to walk in conformity to God. I don't, I, I don't get that response very often. You know what the response is I do get? You can probably tell me what it is. <laughs> Who are you? You're not the boss of me. You don't understand. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand what he did. You don't understand what she did. You don't understand. And the truth of the matter is, I don't care. I don't. I don't have to understand. I don't care what the circumstances are. My job is not to be God. My job is simply to present what God presents. And he starts from, if you want to have a relationship with me, 
It starts at this coffin. This place of death. Now thank God it doesn't end there. The the, the gold that, that covers this precious, precious thing simply emphasizes for us that this is the most precious starting point of a relationship with God. And this is the story of the Bible. It's the story of of the entire Scriptures. Adam and Eve created in the garden, in paradise. And they're supposed to walk perfectly before God. And they sin. And they fall. And the punishment for their sin is death. And so the first thing that God has to do if he's going to restore this relationship that has been broken, is deal with his curse. To be the justifier, he must also be just. That's Paul's point in Romans chapter 3. He can't show mercy without being unjust. And so he's got to begin with the core problem. And the core problem is that you and I are born dead. Dead in trespasses and dead in sin. And you and I live this. As as believers, we struggle. We struggle with that old nature. But we struggle with this reality. And beloved, this is where the gospel opens. Fence lies. I'm delighted with all the gold. I'm delighted with all of the jewels. I'm delighted with the beauty of the tapestries and all of that. I don't like that God's interaction with me starts with a coffin. I am dead. And beloved, so are you. That day of atonement, the one day in the year, when the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, if you've been around the Bible for any length of time, then you know this story. This is not new data for most of you. The high priest enters into that Holy of Holies once per year and does what? He sprinkles the blood of the atonement on the mercy seat. All of Israel's worship, all of Israel's identity, all of your worship, all of your identity must be, I am a sinner deserving of hell and death, but Praise God, there is a mercy seat. And this is where the gospel, A, is offensive at its beginning. Because the idea that I need mercy from God is not something I like to admit. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm definitely not as bad as that guy. (laughs) I try my best. God grades on a curve. I give it my all. 
I work hard, try to take care of my family, try to do right by my wife and kids and the people that I interact with. What more does God want? What more God wants, what God demands, is that I be holy. Is that I be falling on my knees in front of Him and acknowledging that I deserve death. That's where it's got to begin. All of the worship, everything that's going to flow out of this entire tabernacle and worship and all of Israel's relationship with God, it all starts here with a coffin, with a place of death. And then the second component of this is clearly what stands out from this text, is that mercy seat. Covered in gold, Holy, you saw the the poles there that are to carry it and they're not to be removed from it because nobody is to touch the ark. This is to be handled only by people who are carrying the poles on both ends. You remember uh, at one point, one of the the ark was traveling back. The the ark got misused a lot. It became a talisman. Uh, for the children of Israel. They thought the ark meant God's presence, God's power, God's strength, and so they could take it into battle. And it would become this, this magical thing that would cast down all the enemies. The ark of the covenant is about death, undoing the curse, mercy, and atonement. That's what the Ark of the Covenant is. And when the children of Israel started using it in the wrong way, it got captured. But still, it was that center point of God's work with Israel. That precious... I I struggle. (laughs) I I, I struggle because there's such a... There's such a visual image here that I am incapable of, of, of communicating just the, the beauty of this thing, the stunning nature of this thing. I mean, just imagine yourself standing before this, this box, this coffin, covered inside and outside with gold, with poles that run beneath it, and they're covered in gold with a, with a top, a mercy seat that's covered in gold with cherubim, two angels that are that are hovering over it and they're gazing down and it's all one piece. The, the angels and the mercy seat are all... The, it, it had to have been visually stunning. But all of that visual impact even then only just touches the surface of how stunning the reality is. How stunning what it is that this mercy seat points us to. Those angels gathered there constantly gazing in wonder. How can God redeem these messed up, Broken, dead people. 
How can God love these people as a bride who are continually unfaithful to Him? How can God continue to show mercy? And those angels would just be gazing at that constantly in wonder that God would take sinful, dead, rebellious, wicked people and say, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to come in as your bridegroom. I'm going to bring you into my arms. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to protect you from all enemies. I will protect you no matter the circumstances. Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, nobody. He who touches you touches the very apple of my eye. The wonder that God would do that. I I think of the the line in Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We have no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. Because this is the praise you're going to be singing. This is it. Begin that tune now. Begin that song now. And it will shape everything else. The wonder that God covers that place of death, covers the curse with mercy. There's three times in this passage you may have noticed that the word testimony comes up. Both Moses is to place the tablets of testimony inside this ark, but then also from that mercy seat is where God is going to speak to Moses. These tables, tablets of the marriage contract, these tables of the law, placed within the Ark of the Covenant, are a constant reminder to God and a constant reminder to the people that this is the relationship that God has called the people to. They're to have no one before it. They are not to take His name in vain. They're not to make any images of it. They're to remember His Sabbath day, to keep it holy. They're to honor their father and their mother. They're not to commit adultery. They're not to commit a murder. They're not to uh, steal. They're not to lie. All of these things. They're not to covet. All of these things that God says that are to shape the relationship with His people are right there and also covered by mercy knowing that you and I will blow it, knowing that you and I will fail, yet there is that central focus, covering it all, of mercy. Beloved, I just want to ask you, (laughs) I just want want this to be the center point. You've heard intellectually this coffin, this place of death that you and I deserve to be in, that you and I are in, apart from Christ. 
This mercy, this golden, gorgeous mercy seat that is sprinkled by the blood once a year. And you and I know that this is going to lead us into Christ and His work. We know that that's where this goes. But I really want to ask you this. Do you know this at an emotional, heart level? Is there something that stirs in your heart? As a, as a, as a preacher, what I do is I pick apart the text, I look at the languages, I look at the structure, I look at the overall literary flow, blah, blah, blah. All of the details, all of the nuts and bolts of exegesis is what we call it. All of the nuts and bolts of that are easy to do without me ever weeping. And that's, part of that is, you know, I'm an I'm a uptight Scottish Presbyterian. <laughs> so part of it's my own problem. But, but do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? There should be something about this. There should be, at the heart of this, something that makes you and me cry. The beauty of what this represents. The gold might as well just be brass in comparison to the beauty of the mercy, the beauty of the angels peering in on this, the beauty of the blood sprinkled, the beauty of Christ and His redemption, Christ's work for you and for me. Beloved, that has got to move your heart. That has got to sink down in. Let me encourage you simply to marinate in this. Don't get your ADHD brain running. Don't, don't say, yes, but and. Just stop here. Just stop here at this mercy seat. Just stop here at this coffin. This is what God says is at the center. This is where the worship, the relationship is healed. The worship is rightly conducted. Out of this, the life is properly lived. Those commandments of God in terms of how we treat one another, how we engage the world around us, even going on with further commandments of how we worship Him rightly. But all of it starts here. Right here. It's centered here and it expands from this place. That perfect sacrifice that you and I need to cover the mercy seat has been accomplished in Christ Jesus. That death that you and I deserve the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant itself, is that one has died for you. One has died for me. And beloved, the more time we spend here,
The more time we spend devotionally considering, wondering, rejoicing, weeping, the more time we spend marinating in this, the less we're going to have that stench of obnoxious superiority, the stench of holiness, <laughs> the, the less we are going to be people who are censorious, people who criticize and all those other things. If here's where I deserve to be and here's where I am, then, beloved, here is where we all need to find our identity.